Hello, I'm Matt Jarvis from Tabletop Gaming, and I love listening to Bored Shitless, which won't leave you bored shitless. Hey there, chitheads, and welcome back to another episode of Bored Chitless. I'm Lecky, and I'm joined today by Tristan and some very special guests. Tristan, who are we talking to today? Today, we are lucky enough to have a couple of industry titans with us. We have Matt Jarvis, editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine, and Dan Jolin, supremo game journalist, who uh, also writes for Tabletop Gaming Magazine, but who I've been um, reading for years as the columnist in Empire Magazine, reading his movie reviews and stuff. It's great to have you both on the show today, guys. How are you doing, Matt and Dan? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's a bit full on. It's kind of the start of the year um, and kind of getting back into the swing of it still, even like a month in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's exciting times really. Hopefully this year will be a hell of a lot better than last year uh, in the wider world. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed for that. <laughs> and yes, uh, cheers, cheers, cheers for having me, guys. I'm not sure I'd describe myself as a titan, though. Uh, I think I'm more of a, more of a loosen. <laughs> uh, nearly spat water all over my pc there thanks very much oh <laughs> the word play begins cool. yes. well let's start at the beginning then um can you just tell us about yourselves guys so we'll start with you dan since that's alphabetically um <laughs> just tell us about you uh, first of all your gaming interest and how you got started uh, with board games in the first place and, and how are you sort of went on to uh, start writing about board games professionally. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, one of those people, I think when you ask most people that question, which I, of course, have, uh, you end up kind of getting a potted life story, don't you? So I'm, I'm <laughs> going to try not to do that too much. But, you know, just kind of like the key points were really uh, played Dungeons and Dragons whilst uh, uh, in my very, very early teens, um, which pretty much put me on the path for life. But then sort of, you know, by the time I was going off to university and, uh, you know, having girlfriends and getting married and all those kind of things, um, the video game boom happened. So then it was all video game, video game, video game until like about, I think, five years ago now. I haven't really been keeping track. I was just kind of getting a bit tired of video games. It all felt a bit samey. And, and then... Um, I realized there was this wonderful world of board games that I hadn't really discovered, you know. I mean, I'd played, you know, a lot of Talisman and uh, uh, played, obviously, like games like Risk and what have you. But, uh, you know, uh, I think it was uh, somebody put, uh, somebody bought me Lords of Waterdeep because obviously the Dungeons and Dragons connection, which mm-hmm. is still one of my favorite games. Excellent. And yeah, yeah. it's And um, I think I bought Carcassonne as a, as a, as an anniversary uh, gift uh, to me and my wife, uh, because we we had a young baby at the time, and uh, he couldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't go out. So, so I said, let's have a great night in with this, and and that kind of started it all. And then down the rocky road to uh, even deeper geekdom. Yes, well, indeed, yes. And then in terms of writing about it, I mean, I was, you know, I was running about movies most of my life, and um, I was working for Empire Magazine, and. It's a uh, empire is 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 a uh, an amazing but demanding mistress, and um, I didn't really have much time to you know think about writing about anything else while I was working there, and I decided to go freelance, uh, you know, just just go into to, to business uh, uh, by myself and uh, carry on writing about movies, but but it kind of opened up the opportunity to write about something else, and I was just like, 
I love this stuff. I want to write about this as well. Oh, look, there's a magazine that's all about it. I'll give them a call. <laughs> Cue Matt. <laughs> Brilliant seeing there. <laughs> Let's get straight on to, to Matt then. Can you tell us, Matt, how you got started with uh, Tabletop Gaming Magazine and uh, the, the development of that and your involvement in its development? Yeah, sure. So I actually... Um... I, I was writing about video games originally, uh, sort of while I was at uni, and then I left uni and went and wrote about PC and tech and, and video games on that kind of industry side. Um, and I actually got in touch with with the then editor of Tabletop Gaming, a guy called Rob Berman, um, about freelancing for it, because like Dan, I'd kind of always been into, uh, into board games and was really interested with kind of writing about them and, and going behind the scenes and, and all of that. Uh, and so I got in touch and said, hey, I'd love to freelance. Uh, and at the time, it was a quarterly magazine. So Rob kind of said, oh, I'll, I'll come back to you in a bit. You know, we're, we're just finishing up our latest issue. It'll be a few months before the next one. And then before I knew it, I had, uh, Rob had actually decided to move on to Passages New. And um, and uh, I was being interviewed for the job. And, and here I landed. So so that's how I fell into this kind of, into this industry and into this magazine. Um, so it had been going about a year at that point, I think. Uh, tabletop, like I say, it was quarterly. And then... Uh, after I joined it, it went bi-monthly, and now it's monthly, and I've been here about, oh, I mean, like two and a half years, something like that. It's fantastic. I mean, and it's brilliant that it shows, it's almost in tandem with the, the growth of board games generally. You know, uh, one of the stats I keep hearing cited is that uh, last year on Kickstarter, board games made more money than video games. And so it's like, I think we kind of in the industry talk about this a lot as well, that people kind of get screen burn. I know... Um, uh, Dan mentioned it earlier about kind of reaching a limit on video games and then wanting to sort of move on to the next thing. And I mean, I still play video games. It's sort of it's it goes through phases of being <laughs> like hooked on something like The Witcher and putting like so much time into it that when you when you come off the back of it and you're like coming down from the experience, you just want to get away you know, from from screens altogether. Yeah. And I think board games occupy that slot beautifully because you're still sort of ticking that box of being like creatively entertained. Yeah. Um, but also with friends and um, but it's not just a magazine that you're involved with Matt you you've got the tabletop gaming live show now and that was was it the first tabletop gaming live expo last year yeah that's right so uh, it was the last weekend of September 2018 was our first show and uh, we've already announced uh, one for this year which obviously we're really excited about it seemed to go down really well you know we had some really fantastic speakers doing seminars we had some pretty good games on the, the show floor like Keyforge and, and the new pandemic uh, full of Rome and stuff like that um, so yeah it's just kind of bigger and better for this year you know mm. and, and up from there we feel like London is a good place to hold it and yeah it's just kind of giving people another another show to go to and play great games with each other and how involved with that are you I mean is it you does the organization stuff fall in your lap or is it something that just happens and you're associated with uh, so it's part of the uh, like the tabletop gaming brand it's it's by the same company that i work for um a publisher called warners um we have a, like a dedicated events team because uh, we have you know <laughs> like dozens of magazines here so we do events about motor homes and and all that uh but gaming is is kind of new uh so i was directly involved with the the seminar side particularly i reached out to all those speakers and, and kind of targeted the uh the kind of topics and, and people that i thought would be really interesting um and then like i say we have a dedicated kind of events team who who put together the rest of the show kind of the show floor and the exhibitors and, and, and all of that um so yeah so so involved heavily on that side and uh 
So you get to move yeah. in like a bit of a fixer then, just, you know, the Ray Donovan to the board gaming event world. <laughs> Like all the, like I don't think I've ever been described as that before, but I'll put it on my CV from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any favourite shows that you have, Matt, like that you've been to, like expos and stuff? Yeah, so um, obviously other than our own show, uh, which, you know, I would say is right up at the top there. I go out to Essen uh, each year. Um, that's a really interesting one, um, just because I think that is the, you know, that is the big kind of board game, particularly it's kind of the big board game event a lot of the the new stuff comes out there. Although I'd say in the last few years, um, we've seen kind of more of a spread across the rest of the year and things like Origins and Gen Con um, have always been big. But we're now seeing releases that aren't just holding out for October and Essen. We're seeing things come out in February or March. And I think Kickstarter's had quite a bit to do with that as well. Uh, yeah. People not just necessarily going straight into shops and using Essen to, to go that way. Um, so I think it, it's been good good as a whole really but Essen continues to be a fantastic show and obviously we've got things like UK Games Expo here in the UK um, that we go to every year and you know it's fantastic to meet people from around the you know around the country yeah. uh, and, and readers and so on there so yeah there's a load of fantastic shows really I think that's been the nice thing is although we've we've obviously got our own show now you know we see it as something that's adding to like we're not competing with anyone else we're just we're just adding to you know, a lot of fantastic shows that are already out there, things like Aircon and and up in Scotland, Tabletop Scotland and and Dragon Meat, of course. And so, yeah, I mean, more shows and more, more you know, well, more reasons sh- to get together is good for everyone, really. Yeah, more shows usually means more organised play, which can only be good. The amount of um, exactly, people yeah. that have games that are like four or five players, but then only like two or three people that they can actually get to a table. So they've got this great opportunity to meet new people and play those bigger games that they love playing, but maybe they don't have the opportunity to for the rest of the year. Bringing it back to Dan then, so obviously with the uh, journalistic background in movie IPs, is there any movies that you've seen that you'd really like to see come to the tabletop? Any that you might have already oh. encountered? Oh, good question. It's just funny because actually I, I, recently I've been thinking the other way around. I'll be sort of like looking at, uh, you know, what board games would make good movies? But uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's a fantastic uh, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, um, but, but to answer your question, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this great movie series that they should really do some games on. It's called Star Wars. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, really ripe for, uh, for, for lots of different game, game, uh, tabletop gaming experiences. No, I... I think I, it's interesting because you, you don't it's a funny thing to adapt because what you always get in the danger of is trying to and, and I wrote a piece about this I think year before last uh, for, for tabletop gaming is is you don't want to just have a game that just don't, here's the plot beats you know what I mean because you know you can just imagine a really dull roll and move where it's just yeah. like the plot of the film, beginning of the film here end of the film and the winner is the first one to get to the end and so you've got to think about movies which just have a really good core concept that you could then sort of you know drag out and mutate into a game so i was you know i was thinking i've been thinking about it's like what movies have a really good core concept so you get something like to take a recent example a quiet place right that, that's that's a fantastic film uh so good i think it should have received an oscar nomination at least one but anyway um and and i just think that you know is there something you can do that, that and and someone cleverer than me uh you know perhaps someone like uh, like tristan for example um who could sort of take this idea of you need to be quiet you know is there a volume level that you can play to this maybe there's actions you can take but certain ones are more risky than like in a cooperative game say certain ones are more risky than others because they increase the volume and 
you know, and, and maybe, you know, depending on the proximity of the creatures. By the way, does everyone know A Quiet Place? <laughs> I'm just, just the, everyone knows the setup, right? Uh, if, quiet place, if you just want to explain the conceit for the audience, yeah. that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So quiet the idea place is... to sound what bird box is to looking. <laughs> exactly. Now we've got to explain exactly. bird box, Tristan. Yeah. Oh, right, I'll let Dan take over. <laughs> so no, A Quiet Place is set in a world that's been devastated by creatures i mean aliens basically and they hunt by sound they're super sensitive to sound and they most people have been wiped out so it's it's a mostly dead world it's a quiet world and it's the family and they have a deaf daughter and so they can all sign to each other so they, they've already had a head start with survival but survival is all about being quiet so hence the idea of maybe a co-op or a semi-co-op where you know, maybe actions have, you know, a volume level attached to them uh, and you're safer when the creatures are further away. But when they're near, you know, you yeah. just think about those things, you know, what kind of mechanisms could come out of that. So um, that, that would be one. Or, or I, I, I think a really fun game, thinking more about theme, would be something that takes in the entire filmography of the Coen brothers. Right. You know, you know how the TV, you know, the TV shows. Yeah. Fargo is kind of a you know uh, a remix of lots of different elements of coen brothers movies you know you get bits and pieces and it just seems like such a rich universe that isn't really a universe but could be i'd love to see someone i don't know just take take all those movies and come up with something like a card game or something that, that, that yeah. piles it all together oh, uh, that'd be great. hugely character driven wouldn't it it would yeah yeah um, yeah i think i think so but um, and, the only, and the only other thing I thought was actually an, an idea I've had myself, not that I've ever designed a game, but I thought actually I had an idea inspired by the Blair Witch Project. I thought it would be a fun game, which again would be a semi-co-op, but it's about getting out of the woods. Simple yep. thing. Uh, because in the same way as the Blair Witch Project, they keep it keeps changing. They keep losing their way. You know, it would almost be like a tile laying thing, but the tile move around in some way <laughs> you know like you think you're finding your way out but no actually it's they, they, they and something happens and they move and you're not where you thought you were anyway there you go <laughs> that, that sounds cool Dan. i think that should be the uh, the seed of your first game <laughs> okay okay well i've already got i've already got a title in mind but <laughs> i just <laughs> no. is it a witch project <laughs> no no actually it's it's, it's hack tracked so there you go uh, but i that's it i'm I haven't got any further with it, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finish writing a book, so, so don't pressure me. <laughs> I just think it's interesting what you were saying about uh, sound, like capturing, you know, how would you have that in a game? I was trying to think um, Dead of Winter came to mind, because you, you have sound in that, don't you? And the more sound that you create, uh, the more chance you have of attracting zombies. I think it was That's Dead cool. of Winter. I think mm. so. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I last played it, but it's ringing a bell. It's yeah, inter it's I, interesting. I wasn't that. sure whether or not you meant having no sound at the table, as in you know you have to play it quietly, and maybe when you get to a certain spot on the game board, you can start to discuss strategy. But then if you leave that spot, you'd have to be quiet again. Right. Yeah. Like was, Magic Maze. Yeah. I was just about <laughs> to um, suggest the same thing, but like nyctophobia, but sound instead of being in darkness. Um, so we've got a real good feel there for what Dan might be looking for in a tabletop game experience. Matt, what would you be looking for, like, you know, in terms of, like, mechanics or feel or theme? Uh, blimey, that is a, a hard question. I think one of the things that's, that's so good about board games is they kind of come out of nowhere, right? Like, who would yeah. have expected last year that the mind would have been this kind of amazing thing? Because if you describe it on paper, it just sounds a bit crap, really. <laughs> it's like, oh, you put down cards and they're in order. And you can't talk to each other. Speaking of not being able to talk to each other, yeah. uh, you know, maybe you could have a quiet place. The mind. I don't know if that would really tie in that well. <laughs> so you failed. And My now mind is often a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's 
you know, we, we see a lot of the same theme kind of roll around, um, you know, like the, the old joke of treading in the Mediterranean and, and that kind of stuff, and obviously Romans and and so on. So I think it's actually the stuff that you just really don't expect that I'm, you know, that I get really excited about. Um, and so, like, nyctophobia was one of those moments where it's like, how had, you know, how had no one really done this before? Or how had no one really made a board game that you play blindfolded yeah. and, and feel your way around? Um so yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say because, you know, as Dan said, I'm not really clever enough to be the person to come up with those amazing ideas. I'm just hoping that, well, I have faith that a lot of people out there are a lot cleverer than me in thinking of those kinds of, yeah, um, like weird and wacky ideas that will that will work. <laughs> people are getting a lot more experimental, aren't they? Really, like uh, a couple of years ago, it was it um, Beasts of Balance? Just seems to be like just crazy dexterity games. People thinking really outside the box of just stacking cards up or laying cards out on the table. Um, and now you've got people kind of moving away and thinking, well, why do we have to really, you know, compete with the table so much? Let's take people's sight away. Let's make people not, you know, um, you know, communicate vocally and see what actually happens. And we see it in a few games as well where people start to just fill in the blanks. So you were playing a really sort of like straightforward solitaire game like Race for the Galaxy. And all of a sudden me and Tristan spend 10 minutes talking about what the Empire has actually achieved during their mm. um, great expanse. And it never actually happened, but we just like to fill in those little gaps. So it'll be interesting to see where um, game developers might kind of push those boundaries again in the future. Yeah, or like legacy games, obviously, which start as one game. And by the end, you can have a completely different kind of experience because you've torn up half of what you were playing and, and put the stickers over the rest of it. And suddenly you're not playing the game you, you started with. I think, you know, there's a lot more room there for people to go even even weirder with that stuff and really kind of make it just bonkers so that you're playing, you know, six different games, but they all tie together somehow. Yeah. It's it's I guess the trick is doing something like that that overcomes the gimmick of it to oh, create yeah. a compelling experience. Um which was I think it was the, the game um exit. Exit the cabin, yes. Lecky. Yeah, we yeah. Put... So it's like an escape room sort of um, trope, wasn't it? That's and um, and that had some cool mechanics in it, where um, you obviously trying to solve a puzzle to escape from this cabin, um, but then it sort of breaks the fourth wall. I don't know if this is a bit of a spoiler, but you <laughs> definitely it, go on. It actually it asks you to reference the like the barcode on the back of the box is one of the clues, <laughs> <laughs> and that felt like a real sort of head scratch. It took us a while to sort of um, get our heads around that one, but it did make you literally you know think outside the box kind of thing um but I, I wonder how much i guess from a thematic gamer's point of view and i can get a bit cynical about games that just come out and throw you know here's here's a big gimmick at you and and then maybe fall short of delivering the experience that was intended i guess seafall could be considered one of those which oh. is hugely rich legacy game which um absolutely tanked commercially and critically i don't know did you guys dan and matt did you actually get to play that i tried i tried i sort of had this big plan with my with my son actually you like we were just like oh we're gonna do seafall and it's gonna be yeah let's do it and we finally sat down and we, we started playing the prologue and actually started we'd written our names on things we played it for an hour and we just weren't feeling it yeah. i mean he was just like can i go do something else now please dad and i was just like <laughs> yeah i guess um uh, and off he went and that was it and now i've got this kind of yes you know it's not even like i can sell it to someone else now because i've already written like my son's written his like he's chosen his character and written the name on them and everything so it's just sitting there on my shelf and i'm like i love the look of it you know i read the rule book and thought this looks great but i couldn't get past this one hour it's really yeah. 
it's we've actually covered it in the podcast. We did start with Lecky and I with the guys. Um, we did. We started yeah. a campaign. We got maybe three or four scenarios into it, um, and it was it was wonky because like you you get this new objective that's introduced and then it throws everything out of whack and then someone that choose this one objective and wins the game almost by accident kind of thing yeah and it kind of put the guys off and i think at the at the end of it i was the only one who still wanted to play maybe to get like my <laughs> my money back on the investment and so yeah. um but it, it and obviously we weren't the only people to feel that way I, I, you know i don't like to diss on other games um but obviously critically and commercially it wasn't as successful as perhaps people had thought it was going to be mm. um, and it kind of yeah ties back to that point of trying to make a new game and make something that's compelling and interesting and, and come up with a really interesting and unique way of doing it that's going to keep people coming back and you know want the next in the series and stuff. Um, but I guess it hasn't impacted legacy games in general because we're still seeing a, a huge emergence of these now. They seem to be um, every other game on Kickstarter has like a legacy element or well a great something. something. Yeah, a great symptom of, well, not a symptom, sorry, but a great sort of um, side effect of this uh, the legacy theme coming into it is that campaign games have really taken off again. Um, designers yeah. are designing games with a real campaign element in mind, even if they're not legacy. We've played some brilliant ones um, recently. Th- that's what they were called when we were kids. It was campaign games, and then legacy <laughs> is basically a campaign game, but you, you rip stuff up as you go. And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's two sides. People fall on one side or the other with that, don't they? They're either... They love the uniqueness of it and the fact that each decision is, you know, permanent kind of thing. And then there's other guys who are like, um, but think of the environment, you know. Um, you yeah. get to the end of a game pandemic and, uh, and that's it. it. It has to go in the bin, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we've got all these, um, these like lovely rules and mechanics coming up in new games and like, you know, different sort of, um, you know, new, ide- new twists and old ideas possibly. Um, so when you guys are looking at games to review, what, what sort of element of a new game draws you to think, yes, I'm going to have a go at Root this time, or I'm going to try a, there's a nyctophobia. What, what is it that makes it stand out for you? It's a funny one, because sometimes it can be, like we were saying, it can be something completely fresh. You know, you can be like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this. And even if it, it might have a bit of a familiar theme, but, you know, the, the actual gameplay might be really original, or it might be kind of the other way, and that it does something newish with something that's familiar so something i've been playing recently um is crusaders uh thy will be done which is a very kind of full-on title sounds very um, heavy but it yeah uh, it's not the surprising thing is that it looks heavy um so it uses a rondel mechanism that's similar to uh is it trajan stefan Feld's game i don't know how to pronounce it i've never said it out loud i'm probably just embarrassing myself with all the roman historians that listen to your podcast but um we're not allowed to judge people for mispronouncing words apparently because it means they learned those words through reading so they should be <laughs> 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 but, yeah so it uses a, a similar rondel mechanism to the to the game i can't pronounce um but instead of where, where you land as you're putting your little pieces around instead it's where you take them from and the number of pieces you pick up out of that segment is kind of dictates the strength of that action. And so, although it's similar to to Trajan, which um, the designer actually, like in the rule book, he basically throws his hands up and says, you know, it's directly inspired. It kind of gave me this idea. It turns the whole idea or mechanism on its head. And so that was really interesting to to see. Like, oh, like here's here's something that was kind of pioneered in 
you know, by Stefan Feld, but here's someone doing something new with it and it works really well, you know. So I think there's still room for kind of new I new ideas in old concepts, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's a balance between all of them. Sometimes you get a really promising game um that might do something like the unique games, uh, which I think Dan can speak to better in terms of he he took a look at uh, Discover Lands Unknown, um, which kind of did the board game uh, side of that um, and applied those concepts to a board game. And you look at that and I think, Dan, you didn't seem to have a particularly good time. And then Book versus yeah. Keyforge, for instance, which had similar uh, unique ideas and, you know, it's become this big hit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always excited by new ideas like that. I mean, was the, like the second I heard about Discover, lands unknown i was just like brilliant great i want to play that you know <laughs> but you know just because the box you've got is different from anyone else's uh, that doesn't necessarily make it a great game and 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 uh, and and it sadly it didn't quite work and as i've I said before as you know i think there was an element of it lost something because of that you attempt to make it unique like having different cards kind of algorithmically you know selected um so they didn't it just didn't quite knit together it, it didn't feel right and 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 you asked earlier what do you always look for in a game and i my my number one thing is a good story now that doesn't necessarily mean that a narrative embedded in the game yeah. even though i do love that and i love campaign games um i loved stuff fables last year for example uh which which did that wonderfully but i just mean does, does you know does actually playing a game do you get a good story out of it you know you, you Keyforge is a great example of that. Every game is a brilliant little story of, you know, snatch and grab and it swings back and forward and it's really dramatic and there's shocking twists and um, uh, Wildlands as well. It's just kind of the way the way that plays and you get little these little scenarios happen where, you know, one of your guys is jumped by three of their air guys, but just manages to hold on for like five rounds, whittling them all down. And it's this epic fight, you know, so it doesn't happen to be like someone's written a story that fits around the game it's just you get a good story out of it yeah and discover failed on that front because it, it, all the times i played it and i played it with different people you'd keep going well i don't really get the story here what, what we, what's actually happening here you know the start is great oh we're all stranded on this island yeah. or on this mountain or this desert wherever and we've got to survive and then you start doing the things that you need to do and then it throws in these story elements at you and you're like well what's happening now so what have we got to do now and then you kind of in every game i played we reach this point where everyone's just sitting around scratching their heads yeah. going oh should we just try this then should we just try that and it it, it becomes random it feels random yeah you know no game's fun where you just feel like you're randomly casting around thinking, well maybe i'll try this you know you know every yeah. every game every great game has a great narrative monologue over <laughs> fair enough <laughs> it's it's funny you say that about Discover Lands, uh, Dan, because uh, our friend Dave brought it over and we played the first game of it and I was hooked. Um, and as you say, the, the whole survival thing and you're on this desert island and, and you have to explore and discover. And I, I was completely, I was so hooked on it, in fact, that um, because he explained this whole every game is unique element, I went out and bought my own copy uh, like the next day and brought yeah. it back and set it up. And I was looking at the components going, uh, this the same game so i don't i don't know how like badly i'd managed my own expectations of it but it, it was the same mission there was similar characters same tiles and i played through it again i was like okay it's good but when you know you know when you played it once you kind of know the surprises in the first mission so i'll go on to the next scenario 
and uh, we played that and it just it, it fell flat and yeah. i was really disappointed because it, there were so many things that were compelling about it having like this tech tree where you can build your own um you know survival elements and weapons and armor and, and all that kind of stuff and and going around gathering resources and having adventures that that speaks to me that that in itself tells a story yeah. but i don't know if as you say it's just the sheer logistics of having to produce however many thousands of copies of the game and make them more fundamentally unique as well but it'll still be compelling in their own right um yeah and, 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 and it's only it's only five scenarios in the box and i just think it would have been done so much better to forget about this unique thing design the game and actually just make it a straight campaign of, of whatever 12 scenarios or something that just tells yeah. one focused story all the way through using the same mechanisms making it semi-co-op with that and if they'd just done that i would have given it a much better review so so speaking of that what sort of review did you give seventh continent Is that <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like that's the sort of um like exactly the same uh, right. sort of game except for you know it's well, it's a I, very I, linear narrative but you only play it once yeah upsettingly upsettingly i couldn't get seventh continent i missed it i missed the boat however i think matt can answer that one <laughs> yes i have played seventh continent and but i haven't played all that much of discover uh, so i'm kind of on the other side and i really like seventh continent i think it's it's doing a thing that we're seeing like quite a lot of like dan saying about these kind of you know more and more stories coming into games and these kind of campaigns we're seeing this kind of trend of essentially choose your own adventure. Although I don't know if I can say that because I'll get sued now. <laughs> if there's anything to go by. Uh, as we don't mention Bandersnatch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we're, we're seeing that kind of creep into more and more games. You know, we're seeing it in, we saw it in Seventh Continent, which I really liked. It did, I felt like it nailed the exploration feel. You know, it's, oh, I wonder what's going to be behind this card. I wonder what happens if I do this. Um, and then, you know, you just explored what felt like a, a huge continent you know you you wouldn't necessarily go back to the start of it and maybe yeah. start again um because you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing that's kind of maybe a weakness in its you know in its own right but even other things like you know the the fallout board game which had had flaws like particularly the scoring but the way that had this kind of um i think they had a maybe the they had a name for the specific mechanic, uh, but it was also in the new Arkham Horror, where you, if you do certain actions or you speak to certain people, you basically thread cards into a deck of cards. And then those things can reoccur later on. So you might save a dog from being kicked to death by, you know, a bad guy. And then later on, that dog might join your party because you saved it. And if you didn't save it, you would just never see that. And so I think Seven Continent and, and, and other games like that are kind of, you know, are doing that legacy thing we were talking about earlier, yeah. but we're doing it in a way that's replayable and doesn't just involve tearing up things and opening uh, envelopes, but it, instead it's kind of a more organic kind of, well, you're putting cards in the deck and then they might pop up later, but you can always reset it back to square one if you ever wanted to. Yeah. How far did you get with Seventh Continent, Matt? Do you, um, did you manage to complete one of the stories? So... Uh, we didn't review it because we were because it was a Kickstarter. We ended up being a bit on the back foot. Um, so I only played like maybe ten hours or so. Uh, we had a feature and an interview only. with the design. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they said like a campaign goes for up to. They said something ridiculous like seventy hours. Yeah, or something bonkers. Oh. Um, so in that context, um, I didn't get to end to <laughs> the end of any of the stories because I kind of had to prioritize uh, some other bits at the time. But I played enough to obviously do the feature. 
Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to go back to it at some point. But it is a little bit intimidating, I'll say, because it's you know it's nice to have a board game every now and then where you can sit down and go like, okay, in an hour or ninety minutes, we'll be done with this, and kind of be able to move on and not be like, okay, I need to commit eighty hours of my life, <laughs> as I did with Gloomhaven when I reviewed that, and that was a case of playing you know five six hours a night at points to try and see as much of that enormous game as possible you, you yeah. binged gloomhaven oh yeah for the, <laughs> oh for the review because i only had so much time so oh yeah we God. would sit down every evening and play hours upon hours of it wow i love i love that but i can't get to it more than like once every couple of months and and even then when you play it once once every couple of months it's just like it takes up a whole <laughs> evening and you spend four hours trying to remember exactly what you're doing and how to set it up i think yeah. the, the only viable way to do it is to just change name by deed poll to whatever your character's name is and then just live out <laughs> gloomhaven and see how yeah. you get on well you and i like you're uh, we're still paused on Seventh Continent, aren't we? After the first we are, time. we are, yes. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed I, it. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, it's it's a brilliant storytelling game. But as Matt pointed out, there, there's a logistical thing about having a board game that you can play in 90 minutes yeah. and just get done with, or one that you're like, can we pick up the story that we left off weeks, maybe even months, or, <laughs> or in our case, probably years ago, and still have that same compelling experience? Or are we going to be like, what on earth are we doing now? And is, you know, um, it can be gloom, gloom, can one of those where you've got to, you've got to keep it fresh in your mind to remember all the tactics of the different characters and everything. Um, but if you're willing to do that and invest that time, it, it gives yeah. an un, uh, inimitable experience. Uh, I actually played Gloomhaven through with my eight-year-old, nine-year-old now, and um, we, we don't play it as often as I'd like. But when we do, it's brilliant because you're in it, you, you're developing the, the town. The characters, you're unlocking new characters as you go. And even though we've played, I don't know how many hours worth, maybe 10 scenarios, um, it still feels like we're scratching the surface in, in terms of new content, you know, and new stuffs, which yeah. is um, which is a real reason to come back to it. Yeah. Actually, this might, this, this might not be the right time or place to ask this question, but I've been thinking hard about this with Gloomhaven. As someone and, and with a group of friends, we've got a party but we don't get to play it that often. And, and one of the frustrating things is it's, it's quite a tough game. So, of course, if you, you know, if you fluff a dungeon and you've got a restart, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Are there any good sort of, uh, uh, you know, any recommendations, like any kind of hacks that you can recommend which work in terms of maybe making it slightly easier but not in a way that ruins the balance of the game? Have you, have you guys tried anything you. like that? you're 100% on that and and one of the things we had to just uh, bite the bullet and do was because bearing in mind playing it with the nine-year-old or eight-year-old at the time if if you lose repeatedly it can really kill it yeah yeah and and some of the one or two of the scenarios I mean bearing in mind, there's also over 90 scenarios in the book so uh, um, there's loads of variety in there but a couple of them are slightly janky where if you've got a certain combo of characters there was one that we had we had two quite slow moving characters and after we lost this one scenario two or three times, I was t- t- taking like a mathematical look at it, trying to work out, would we physically be able to get through this dungeon and achieve all the objectives um, and take out all the bad guys, which was, you know, the mission. And I don't think it was possible. So in the end, I just had to knock it down a dungeon level, which yeah. it does say in the, in the rule book, you know, if you want an easy game, just take it down one, one level. And actually, I, I don't think that's a bad rule. Um, some, some, some hardcore gamers would squirm at the thought of taking it easy no. on themselves I, I, I'm, I'm already playing it on easy level <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> I'm already there you know what I mean <laughs> I was like what else can I do uh, in that case I'm out of ideas you'd have to ask guys fair enough fair enough <laughs> 
that reduced the amount of uh, monsters by half, perhaps? I don't, yeah, it's, that's a really tricky one. I wonder if there is some sort of like homebrew rules out there for, you know, really like simplifying these um, heavy games. I suppose the knock on effect is you don't know how much of a 70 hour campaign you're simplifying, you know, and, mm. and how you're making it and stuff. Um, Matt, you mentioned before about being on the back foot with Seventh Content because it was a Kickstarter. Uh, should we ask the Kickstarter question? What are your experiences and thoughts, guys, starting with you, Matt, about uh, Kickstarter? And is it a great thing for the industry or is it um, a bad thing because we're just getting spammed by so many games every year? You know, what's what's your overall opinion of uh, Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding platforms in general for uh, board gaming? I think it's it's been, on the whole, good, really good. Because it's it's kind of thrown open the doors to you know anyone at some level you know you you can make a game have a really great idea and then a load of people go that's a really good idea I'm going to give you a bunch of money to make it um, and you know if you pitched those ideas to like a traditional publisher or, or something they might just kind of go ah eh, there's not really you know we have to make this and then get it out and see how it does and it takes up space and we'll lose money and so the the hurdles just become too much and so no one takes an interest. Um, so yeah, on the whole, I think it's just allowed like really interesting ideas to to come out and to kind of find like an audience of even a couple of hundred people, um, and there's no big risk that way. But on the other hand, you know, we have seen we've seen high profile failures, we've seen like delayed projects, and kind of like Evil Dead Two was obviously a huge mess um, with Space Goat, and we've seen some other kind of um, big ones fall flat. And even when the games finally make it out, sometimes they're just kind of a bit rubbish uh sometimes that's the fault of you know sometimes they're just bad games sometimes it is it has been the fault of kickstarter because certain elements have been stripped out to then do as exclusive expansions or to to do as extra tiers and, and things like this um i think the, the most obvious thing that people often gripe about is miniatures right like you see a lot of games that have a bunch of miniatures in that don't really need them so like hannibal and hamilcar um was a game played a, re- a while back it was kind of like a, a remake of a game from about 20 odd years ago and they stuck a bunch of miniatures in the box and we just ended up never playing with them because it was a lot clearer with all the tokens that were also included and the miniatures <laughs> deter- took up a load of space and so you know then we had a box that was probably twice or three times the size of that it needed to be because they'd you know sold all these miniatures as part of it but on the whole i think it's been really good obviously like the the numbers that came out recently are just showing that it's going up and up. I think you know, board game or tabletop kickstarters, as they call them, and break them down. They were like ten; they made ten times more money than video games or something bonkers, yeah. wow. um, which is just extraordinary. And it's you know it's up year on year for like the last three or four years. So the bubble hasn't quite burst yet. I yeah. think it, it will slow down at some point, but on the whole, it's been it's been really good to just get ideas out there and to constantly have inventive stuff. Because if we didn't, to be honest, it would we'd probably just be seeing a lot of the same stuff. We'd see a lot of new ticket to rides. We'd see a lot of, you know, games that involve, like, fantasy dungeon crawling and stuff like that. But instead you see RPGs like Starcrossed, which is about people in a relationship and you're playing Jenga as part of the RPG. And you see this weird and inventive stuff that you just wouldn't wouldn't see otherwise. You know, who would put that out if it wasn't on Kickstarter? Yeah. Do you feel yeah. like, um, along with Kickstarter, as it's becoming more mainstream, do you think the audience is as well? Or do you feel like it's it's still a bit of a, a, a niche gamer audience that maybe like they're a bit more vocal about like, what they like or dislike about the campaigns? Do you think there's more more trolling going on or that's starting to calm down and it's being a bit easier for developers to just get on with producing the games now? I think, 
over the years, it's people have kind of uh, come to terms with what might be a good Kickstarter, what might be a crap Kickstarter. You know, people yeah. are a little more wary as to, oh, this looks like that date's very close. It's not actually going to make that date. It's going to get caught in all of this stuff. And also you're asking for like 50p to make a game that's going to cost, you know, several thousands to ship across and, and all of this. So I think, you know, that that's part of the downside of it being quite a lot of people who, who aren't established publishers who are just kind of making these games out of passion and they're not really realizing that actually it's a big task to undertake to to make a game and get it shipped across and send it out to even a couple of hundred of people uh, a couple of hundred people um and i think the audience obviously you're going to get a load of people that gripe and kind to some degree kind of rightly so because their money's you know their money's in it their money's up front um but at the same time you are seeing this kind of uh, people getting better on both sides of the fence, people understanding how to make a decent Kickstarter that has realistic kind of targets and and, and doesn't promise the world within, you know, half an hour. And then on the other side, you're seeing people be a little bit more lax and understand that, that things get delayed and, and things go wrong and stuff like that. So, yeah, there will, there will always be that kind of thing. As for the, the mainstream thing, I think, you know, board gaming as a whole, as everyone knows, is is getting more and more mainstream. I think the Kickstarters we're seeing kind of reflect that. Like we're seeing a lot of video games like Dark Souls yeah. and Resident Evil 2 and spin-offs of that kind of stuff that do these, you know, enormous numbers. And so you're seeing people come across from from the worlds of like video games and, and films and things like that. Um, but whether they're, and hopefully they're then discovering, you know, other games like classics that aren't just based on things that they already like. But I think it's a good thing all round, really, you know, as, as I sort of said before, like more people playing more games like is never a bad thing. Not at all. It's a, it's a larger sort of pond for us all to draw from. You get like more interesting variety of fish. How's that for a half-baked metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> so um, like it's, it's great to have two journalists on the podcast anyway. So what we could really ask you at this point is change the um, topic a little bit would be to find out what, what do you feel like people respond to most about games and the tabletop hobby in general um, from what you've seen in the forums, um, Tabletop Magazine, and out and about when you speak to people. Is there anything that keeps um, repeating when people talk about games, what they get most passionate about? Dan, I'll throw over to you for a bit, if you like, because I've been talking yeah, yeah. a lot. No, I'm no, sure people getting sick of my voice. Yeah. I, uh, it's it's, it's a in, really interesting question, actually. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what I say, because it's something I've got to think about. But do people really respond to? Um, I guess what kind of articles would you know? Which articles do you write down that you know which you get most traction with, or you know most hits on? What people respond to? Well, which ones go stellar, sort of thing? Well, actually, I mean, funnily enough, it was it was before I started writing for, for tabletop gaming. I I did a piece just about the whole you know resurgence of board gaming. Just to re, you know, obviously from our perspective, it's the most obvious thing you could ever write, but. Uh, I, I read it for the the Observer, but they 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 were really interested. They're like, "Oh, people are getting back into board games," and that for me was kind of personally a, a, a journey of discovery as well about well, what is actually behind this and what's into this. But the most amazing thing was the the reaction that it got. You know, the amount of um, you know clicks it got, and the amount of shares it got, and that was the the moment of like, okay, yeah, something is going on here. People. It's not just that, you know, more people are, uh, are into this or people like me who are now in their 40s who played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid are getting back into the hobby. You know, it's it's there's a real craving, uh, you know, across the board, you know, across generations uh, and and 
all kinds of lifestyle for, for just getting into a room and sitting around the table with people you like or maybe even complete strangers um, and interacting with 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 a game to focus and not a game that's going to make you argue and get pissed off like Monopoly, for example, um, but a game that is actually going to keep everyone engaged from beginning to end, you know, and 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 I think I think that that is is just the very heart of it is, and I think it's an important thing is that social element. And we talked earlier about video games, you know, people switching off. It's not it, with that; it wasn't just the games. It was a lot of the time it was the, the, the toxic online context that you often got, yeah. where uh, it was just like, why why am I spending my time being be shouted at by you know horrible horrible people online <laughs> trolls yeah, yeah exactly um you know why why don't i sort of like filter that out and just and have a face-to-face experience and who knows some of those you know strangers you meet that you play board games with they could have been one of those online trolls but because they're with you looking at you face to face they are themselves and they're going to be nice <laughs> um so, so yeah so and so to me that i don't know really answers the question that you asked but that's what really got me was the fact that people are really craving this social experience and, and i think that's lovely and you know that's why i'll now for the rest of my life probably always take tabletop over video yeah, yeah. no i think you definitely you've made um, an interesting point there because lucky and i used to work together in an office there was about 250 people there and i had this sort of coming out of the closet moment where i advertised a board game <laughs> night so, yeah. uh, like the whole company uh, and expecting you know the two of us and uh, maybe a couple of other guys to turn up and out of 250 people 25 people showed up you yeah. know and these are some people that i'd worked with or had been in the same office with for years and sort of said hello to in the corridor and that but all of a sudden um you get to know them and, and start playing with them and spending hours with them you know either achieving an objective or working against each other to you know um screw each other over kind of thing um <laughs> And yeah, and nothing else quite does that. You know, you don't really get that from from having a headset on and playing video games with people or sitting silently in a the movie theatre. You know, being entertained, sort of thing. Um, so no, I think it was a great answer, Todd. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I, I'm just conscious of time here, so we'll probably just wrap up with uh, one more question. We'll, we'll um, talk about because you've obviously both got your fingers on the pulse of the gaming scene. Uh, maybe sort of highlights and things that you're looking for to in 2019 in the gaming industry and predictions maybe of uh, what you think is going to be big or what you think you're looking forward to personally as a gamer start with you matt sure uh blimey what i'm looking forward to personally i think actually it it's i'm not just saying it because it's on the latest cover of the magazine but actually the new game for, from tom layman the race for the galaxy uh, designer uh, res arcana i think is really interesting because it's it's this kind of uh well, it's similar to Race for the Galaxy in that it's it's kind of like an engine builder. You're you're racing to get points. It's in a fantasy theme instead, but it's got this kind of magic, the gathering mana system, mana ish system to it. In that there are certain elements that you're trying to uh, play and use those to claim monuments in the center, but you only have eight cards in your deck. So it's this really kind of compact, um, like a challenge of efficiency, really. Um, and I think that's something that we might see more and more of these kind of games that have a lot to offer in terms of like strategy and things to think about, but they don't use a lot of cards. You know, we saw um, a game called Maiden's Quest last year, which uh, James Wallace, another one of the tabletop contributors, kind of gave a mixed review to, largely because of its rulebook. 
Um, but that was a game that you could play just in your hand. You didn't need a table. Um, so it was played entirely in your hand. You and think, the training and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think we'll see more and more stuff that that kind of has that rich kind of you know decision making and all of that that you expect from bigger, longer games, but kind of packed into these games that take half an hour, forty-five minutes, and are relatively easy to teach people. Which is you know which is part of the reason why things like Magic and, and Keyforge are so popular. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that'll be really interesting. And as well as that, I'm I'm hoping that there are more unique games on the way. More closer to Keyforge than Discover. Um, but I think that's a really fascinating concept that if they, they take it in the right directions could could be really, really interesting and do something, you know, like genuinely kind of original and, and kind of boundary pushing in board games. But I think it's just a case of there'll be some experimentation of, of what works and what doesn't and what turns out to be complete crap and feels a bit like it's been made by an algorithm somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. what feels like, oh, this is actually personal to me. Um, yeah, and and from that to add to Dan's point, I'm just looking for you know games that tell interesting stories that I can have with friends and and with strangers and and yeah, I think that's the the great thing about board games, right? They bring us together and give us things to think about and and remember. You know, we all remember playing D and D or Warhammer as kids, yeah. uh, and so hopefully there'll be more games that give us that. To so in 20 years, we're telling stories like that again. <laughs> That's it. It's a collective experience, really, isn't it? And the more of those that we can have with our families or friends, like the better off we'll be for it. Uh, this, is becoming, this is becoming very lovey-dovey. <laughs> it's just me. I'm just Dan, pretentious. That's the problem. Dan, give us some cynicism. <laughs> no, I'm looking. Um, give us your predictions for 2019, either in Ooh. trends or what you're looking forward to as a gamer. Okay, well, I think that there's a lot of potential in this uh, movie IP called Star Wars, which I think um, <laughs> there might be some games coming out to do with that. No, um, I did take on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, no, it's good. This is actually, you should check it out. The, you know, these, these Star Wars films, they're quite fun. They're, they're, there's, there's a lot to them. And they um, say that Disney doesn't have film journalists in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a big pocket. Anyway, um, okay, so, well, actually, well, what, I'm looking forward to. There's something I'm looking forward to called. It's called Call to Adventure, which um, which which I actually backed on Kickstarter because it's the Brotherwise guys, Chris and Johnny O'Neill, who've done the Boss Monster games, which which are great fun. And it's not a Boss Monster game. And 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 what I like about it, talking about storytelling, twist and storytelling, it's the idea is you're kind of you're building a hero's story. Each player is actually so it looks like there's a bit of engine building, but it's kind of what you're doing is you're creating a narrative. So you start with the origin of the hero and then, you know, they have events in their life. So actually what you're trying to do is you're trying to score the points for having the best story. But that doesn't mean you lose points for bad things happening to them, because obviously that's a more interesting story. Um, and I'm really interested in that, firstly, because it's, it's potential, because they've already got the first expansion, which is, oh, gosh, I've completely forgotten the author's name. It's gone out of my... Patrick Rothfuss. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, memory. Um, uh which um, which is taking the idea and applying it to existing, you know, like fantasy uh, narratives. Uh, and the other thing is, is maybe this is just a gimmick, but I kind of like the look of it. And instead of dice, you instead of throwing dice, you cast runes. You see, they've got, they've got little runes that you throw right. onto the table. <laughs> so you know that that kind of um, that, that 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 got me. So so I'm looking forward to that, but mainly because I'm thinking, you know, as I say, we keep saying about games that tell stories that's literally what you're trying to do is create a story through the game that you play so i'm interested to see how that works uh, um 
And the other thing I'm really looking forward to, uh, I know obviously, you know, Legacy Games are already big and it's not a new thing, but terraforming Mars Legacy. I mean, come on. It's going to be great, right? <laughs> are they going to uh, in- improve the artwork? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, sorry, without sounding awful, but, you know, bless them, they do it themselves, don't they? It's kind of this, yeah. you know, the Braxelius family, uh, you know, they kind of, they just sort of keep it all in the family. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that, that sort of brazen DIY nature of it. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it would be nice to uh, to get to get better artwork. But, Maybe that'll be the legacy element. The art yeah. will slowly improve match after match. As, yeah, each, yeah, as each colony that. develops, so do the photography and artwork <laughs> skills. Yeah, I, I, well, I love, oh, it, I love the, the game Terraforming Mars, and just any reason yeah. to excuse to play more and more of it would would definitely be welcome. Well, it's one of my favourites of the last few years, and I think it lends itself. The idea lends itself perfectly to to the legacy format. It doesn't feel like it's just bolted on. It's like yeah. oh, you know, oh, you're just doing a legacy game because people are doing legacy games. I think actually it really does make sense, you know, and, and the, the scope of it could be truly fantastically epic. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. Well, we've had about 55 minutes of chat now, and um, hopefully all the listeners really like what they hear from both of you. So leading us on, where can people get in, t- get in touch with you or find your content? Where can they find your um, articles and your podcasts and such? I'll go first if you like. So yeah, Tabletop Gaming you know, available on all good shelves and, and whatnot so we're, we're found in supermarkets and, and news agents and hobby stores uh you can also find you know the latest news we have a website tabletopgaming.co.uk um that has the news and you can pick the magazine up directly from there it's like free pmp to the uk and all of that obviously you can subscribe as well and then we're on twitter and facebook uh so yeah and if you want to get in touch with me absolutely drop me an email and we can just chat games that sounds lovely i'll do that <laughs> <laughs> no Wait, Dan, don't need, don't need email me i have enough emails from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm at dan jolin that's d-a-n-j-o-l-i-n uh so you can find me on twitter talking about board games and movies mostly um and just trying my best to be nice and in no way t- toxic um I, I i do have a blog but i'm i i, I just don't really maintain it so uh, and also i found out that the name i chose for my blog already actually existed and someone else has got the name so now, now i feel bad about it so uh if i do put anything up on there you'll find it through twitter so uh, so yeah that's where i am <laughs> fantastic um well once again thanks very much for joining us today it was a really interesting discussion really enjoyed it and um it's great to see really what might be coming up and more interestingly really what kind of gets your motors running when it comes to games so, well, cheers, cheers, cheers for having me it was uh, it was lovely Okay then, well that's it. That was uh, Matt Jarvis and Dan Jolin. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you all again very soon for another episode of Board Shitless. Thanks and goodbye.